Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Who knows that ALCS stands for a lovely championship series. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Let's go down to Texas. Lovely is an interesting for us. I don't know if that's how you would describe it for any of the people involved, but it is great to be talking to you on this fine Monday morning as we head towards our first game seven since 2020. We have not had a game seven of the postseason each of the last two years, and now we will have one tonight at Minute Maid Park, and I am so, so excited. The two best words in sports, Dane Dunning. <laughs> uh, Max Scherzer. But maybe Dane Dunning will be pitching as well. Uh, I, am, I know Max Scherzer I know. is starting, I but know. there's a Ooh, reason Max I Scherzer, said. We're, we're, flying, we're, we're throwing out the Max Scherzer opener uh, takes already. We will get to all of the Game 7 stuff, but the whole reason we're talking about a Game 7 is become is because Game 6 went to the Texas Rangers. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Game 5, which feels like a million years ago. Jake is now back in Philadelphia, but he was there for the Phillies victory, the Zach Wheeler show in Game 5 in the desert. So we're not going to spend as much time on that. Of course, we'll preview Game 6, which you will be at tonight. But most of the show is going to be about the lovely championship series as you just described it because that is where all the fun is uh at least most recently so first of all it's nice to see you jake it's monday uh thank you all for listening you can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com if you have thoughts about uh the show we appreciate the support um, we're about to hit a very so much to get to. we're gonna hit a very big milestone mm-hmm. hopefully with this episode which we can tell people about on our next episode we're very thankful mm-hmm. for all the listeners we have Mm-hmm. It is very fun to do the show, and we feel very privileged and lucky to do it. You know who else feels privileged and lucky, Jordan? Who? The Texas Rangers, because they, despite dropping all three games at home in Texas, in Dallas, to the Houston Astros, they survived in game six. Let's set the stage. Game five, remember, they had it. They had it in their grasp before Jose Altuve Snatched it away from them with a three-run go-ahead blast. There was the Brian Abreu, Adelise Garcia kerfuffle. That was relevant for Game 6 because before Game 6, Abreu was given a two-game suspension, which he then appealed and was available tonight. His availability for tonight's Game 7 is a little bit in question. That will come out probably after we finish the pot. But last night, okay, Framber Valdez for Houston against uh, Nate Yavaldi, Nasty Nate for the Rangers. And Framber has not looked himself all October. And there was some talk about how Astros coaches had helped him kind of lower his release point to make sure that he was throwing his sinker lower in the zone. And he comes out against Marcus Semien in the first step out of the game. 
and he walks him on four pages. <laughs> and it was like, oh, no, here we go. Now, Frommer was definitely better than his first outing. I know we had like the weird throwing error in the first game. He was clearly rattled himself from the jump. But yeah, as you mentioned, <laughs> first four pitches, like, what are we doing? But no runs. He settles in, strikes out Robbie Grossman, who's <laughs> still batting third for reasons that a lot of people understand. I know he crushed lefties during the regular season. It still looks very goofy to have him batting third. He strikes out. Jolius Garcia strikes out. We are clean for Fromber in the top of the first. The Astros strike first in the bottom of the first. Jordan, Cian Nate, Evaldi, I believe, like 10 for 14 career against Nasty Nate. Evaldi was great again, but he had no answer for Jordan whatsoever. I recently had a major league pitcher use a phrase to describe a player who dominated them that I never heard before. He was like, yeah, I, I send that guy a Father's Day card. <laughs> Which that's, is amazing. That's great. That's a that's a that's a. I love the extension of the "Who's your daddy?" Uh, kind of mantra. Yeah. I like that. This picture was like that guy's my daddy. As if I said so. I, it's like I send him a Father's Day card, and I said, "Do you really?" He said, "Absolutely not." No, I don't send him a Father's Day card. Nady Evaldi should send Jordan Alvarez a Father's Day card. Astros go up one nothing, but Fromber does not really have that much time to settle in because Mitch Garver who has had some big moments this postseason, drives a homer out to right field. What a catch by the fan sitting a few rows back, one-handed snag by a, a gentleman in an LSU jersey. Yeah, Jay Johnson is, is going to scoop him up and give him like a million in NIL to play left <laughs> Go field. Go Tigers. We'll see if he LSU. can beat out uh, Paxton Kling uh, for one of the starting outfield jobs. Um, but Frommer settles back in. He gets Josh Young to ground it to a double play to end that inning. And now we're kind of going back and forth. And... Fromberg looks a little better. Evaldi looks fantastic. Evaldi in this game, throwing really hard. He kept missing fastball glove side, but then he would find it again and get the outside corner. He was getting a lot of calls on the outside part of the plate uh, from umpire Jordan Baker. Jordan Baker, (laughs) who I will mention, um, is the giant umpire. For those of you who are unfamiliar, this happens every time he umpires a big postseason game or big regular season game. Everyone's like, who the hell is that? I think he's literally like 6'7 or 6'8". Um, so especially seeing him next to Altuve, there was a great, uh, I don't remember when, but there was an ump cam shot of him on like a strike call to Bregman and Bregman is literally like looking up at him like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> it just looked so funny. So, but Jordan Baker, I mean, it wasn't the best called game, but we've seen worse. The umpire equivalent of an umpire's chair in tennis. He's all, he's all the way up there. <laughs> he's all the way up there. You have to, you have to come over and they're, they're like leaning down like, sorry, what was that? What was that? What did you say? Yeah, you. Uh, anyway, we have no no runs uh, for the next uh, few half innings. Eventually, Evaldi uh, intentionally walks Jordan at some point. Abreu grounds out to end the inning. And then the top of the fourth, Jonah Heim launches his second home run of the series off of Fromber, a home run that only would have been a home run in Houston and Yankee Stadium, a great reminder of the short porch in right field in Houston, which is not talked about nearly enough, in my opinion, uh, because of all the focus on the Crawford boxes. But hey, Homer is a homer. He counts the same, and the Rangers go up 3-1. to one. Can't spell Heim without him. Clear that both Heim and Garver had a very similar approach against Valdez, which was to try and drive the ball to the opposite field. That makes sense against a left-handed pitcher. I know Valdez is more curveball than changeup as far as the secondary goes, but against the lefty as a right-handed bat, you're a lot of the time looking to drive the ball the other way, and that is exactly what Heim and Garver did last night. Yes, let's fast forward to the bottom of the fifth. Martin Maldonado somehow reaching base once again. 
Unacceptable. Getting... <laughs> Unacceptable. Ivaldi <laughs> <laughs> just drills him with the pitch. Oh, he didn't get out of the way. He hit him. It's he hit him. It was a hit by pitch. When I watched the condensed game back on YouTube this morning, he hits him, and then they pan to the crowd, and the crowd's like, "Boo it, boo it!" And I think Joe Davis like. The crowd thinks he did it on purpose. Let me say this. I know we had some like intentional, did he throw at him, did he not, Brian Abreu, Garcia stuff. If you are intentionally throwing at Martin Maldonado, which Ivaldi was not, you are doing yourself, your team, and the human race a disservice. Okay? No chance. I I agree. Although I might also have, hey, they can't get him out. Might as well try and injure him. That's a joke, to be very clear. Anyway, Martin (laughs) Martin Maldonado... Lead off HBP. Altuve pops out on the first pitch. These are the moments. And like Altuve is basically the only player that when he does this, you can't get mad. And especially when he's like, he's, he's basically the only one because this is what he does. Like he knows what he's up there attacking. He gets a high fastball. He swings out. He pops out. Pop outs are the worst. They've made a point in this probably, and it's true. I mean, I don't know if there's they've backed this up, but at least anecdotally, it does feel like a ridiculous number of pop outs in this series, and there's about to be another one here in a second. But Altuve, it's like, what are you going to be like? No, stop being Jose Altuve. Like, no, that's that's like kind of what makes him the whole thing. Anyway, so that's one out. Michael Brantley strikes out. But then this really is my vote for key moment of the game, even more Whoa. than all the stuff later. This is my vote for key moment of the game because you have – Nasty Nate's father on deck, Jordan Alvarez. And to against Alex Bregman with two outs, he goes 3-0. All misses away. And at this point, you're wondering, okay, how long is, is Evaldi going to go? Not that Evaldi wasn't looking good, but you could, the command was already kind of loose. And so you're wondering, like, oh, my God, like, it's 3-0. Like, he's about to walk Bregman first and second and has to face Evaldi. Are they, they going to have to force them to go to the bullpen here or something? Like, what, what's going to happen? And instead, Alex Bregman takes a fastball right down the middle, 3-0, and then pops up a cutter right down the middle. Now, now the pitch selection there was probably smart to not double up with the fastball. But Bregman misses the cookie right down the middle, pops out to end the inning. And I just think that was massive because – I know for a fact they didn't want him facing Jordan again, which they, they allowed him to, but that was with nobody on base, right? And so they're still up three to one at this point. So we go to the bottom of the sixth, and Jordan leads off with the single, I believe, first pitch. A brave single. You end up getting a Mauricio Dubon sack fly. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Pena grounds out to end that inning, and it is three to two heading to the seventh. Yes, we go to the top of the seventh. Hector Neris comes in. Neris has not been the most reliable but he manages to wiggle his way out of his own trouble in this inning, getting Corey Seager to ground out to first base of Jose Abreu, goes over and covers, grabs the ball, spikes it right next to the umpire. I was like, oh, you do that in front of the wrong college umpire and you're getting you know, suspended for multiple seasons. Um, thankfully, they allowed that emotion and we head to the bottom of the seventh. Evaldi goes back out for the bottom of the seventh, which again... You're like, okay, presumably he's just going to face Maldonado. They're not going to let him face Altuve a fourth time. But Bruce Bochy is like, hell yeah, I'm going to let Nate Avilli face Jose Altuve a fourth time. I'm Bruce Bochy. Come on. I don't I don't care. Like, this is I, – I, I call the shots around here. I ain't letting no, no script tell me what to do. Maldonado lines out, and Jose Altuve – I mean, this pitch was so far outside. 
93 mile an hour cutter like four inches outside. And you would think that the guy who's five six would not be able to cover that pitch, but of course he can because he think is again. a generational hitter. He lines it into center, and that ends Nasty Nate's night. But in comes Josh Spores with the single worst facial hair remaining in the playoffs. Pick a mustache or a beard, because somehow this is both and neither. There's a it's, few of them. I feel like Heim kind of has the same issue uh, with, with with this team. It's just a tough look. Anyway, but it doesn't. No one's talking about that because Spores gets Michael Brantley to ground into a inning-ending double play mm. to squeeze out of this one. Huge moment for the Rangers. We head to the top of the eighth, and that is when this game gets cracked open a little bit. Oh boy! So Evan Carter leads off with an infield single, gets overturned on the replay. Evan Carter really fast, breaking news. And Brian Abreu is in the game here. So Brian Abreu comes in because his suspension is in pro- is in the appeal process. And this is one of the funniest things in baseball in terms of even in non-dramatic postseason context is that even, even in situations where you're in like an all-out brawl and you get a huge suspension, if you're appealing, you're, you're good to go. You can, you can keep on playing. See you tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. And so I in mean, this case, it is like that in America – True, true. You can least, pay bail. Yeah, that's you can true. Post it's, bail. It's 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 very true. It's very true. Uh, <laughs> I'm not here to debate the merits of whether that is a good or a bad thing, but that is how it works. Brian Abreu out on bail, <laughs> pitching out the on eighth bail, inning. Uh, pitching the eighth inning. Carter leads off with a single, steals second, and here comes Dolis Garcia for the rematch. And what do you know? Garcia's trying to hit a home run, and he fails. Abreu sits him down, strikeout swing. Fourth of the game for Garcia. Yes, fourth of the game for Garcia. Surely that would be the end of his night. Nope, more on that later. Mitch Garver comes up again to drive in another run, huge insurance run, double to left, making it four to two. Mitch Garver is going to get paid, Jordan. He is a free he really agent is. this offseason. I have made this paid. point before. He, when you look at just his offensive track record and you consider how historically bad this offensive free agent class is. And if anybody can think that he can catch even 50 games, because his defensive you know, reputation is not great. It's not horrible, but it's, it's not good. If anybody thinks that they can get 50 games to catch, yeah, but even as a DH, even as you know, a first, but whatever, he is going to make some money. And I know he's a little bit older, really weird career, but he's, he's really proven a lot. And I, I'm fascinated to see him in free agency. But anyway, for the purpose of this game, he puts them up four to two. Two insurance runs, uh, or one insurance run, a two-run lead going to the eighth inning. Six outs to go for this Rangers bullpen. And at this point, we're wondering, okay, Josh Spores has been amazing. Just got a double play. This is normally where Araldis Chapman has come in. And Alex Bregman is leading off. And so when the inning begins, I'm assuming it's going to go Spores and then Chapman. That is not what happens. Bruce Bochy heard our prayers. <laughs> it took long enough. It took long enough. We're like, please, no more. Please, no more. Okay. So Spores comes back out and then walks Bregman. And it's like, well, shit. Now you have to go to Chapman. But then it's like, no, you don't. Like, I'd still rather go with Spores. And so they leave him in there. And I think they made this point in the broadcast. And I think it's fair. Jordan's probably expecting Chapman too. You know? And Spores stays in there. And he strikes out. And he... Excellent sequence. Excellent sequence. Awesome. Now, now the first pitch might have gotten away with one, right? Curveball a little low and in. Jordan fouls it back. Probably a hittable pitch. 
But then they go curveball in the outer half where he's, he's starting to look out there and then just 97 miles an hour away. We've seen Jordan swing through that fastball away yeah. a good number of times. It's been, you know, we've seen him. It's not that he doesn't have opposite field power. I feel like in this postseason, he has been trying to pull everything and has been able to. I mean, he pulled an outside slider from Chapman, right? It's not, I don't blame him. We haven't seen him necessarily be willing to kind of go with power the other way. It's right. a really hard pitch to hit. But in this case, it was the perfect pitch to get him. And this at-bat was a great reminder of maybe we put a little too much emphasis on platooning, on making sure, uh, or at least, sorry, on the platoon advantage, on making sure that we have left-handed pitchers throwing to left-handed hitters and vice versa. Sometimes just leaving a dog out there is enough. Like, I want my best arm that I trust in that moment facing someone no matter the, what hand they throw with or what, ha- what side yeah. they hit from. And, like, uh, yes, Aroldis Chapman throws 100 with his left arm. That's amazing. Give me Josh Spores in this spot. Yeah, like Spores okay, has like, been, you know, his ERA still zero uh, in this postseason in seven outings. But it got, got a little dicey here. Got a little dicey. So Abreu singles, and then we've got first and second with Jose LeClerc. One out. Comes in in the eighth with one out. And it's like, are they going to ask him to get like five wow. outs again, pitch two innings? He walks Kyle Tucker. Oh. And it's like, oh, my God. We've seen this movie before. Well, the not Houston just we've Astros. seen this movie before, but as we just mentioned, like, I mean, I don't want to bring in Chapman here. Like, I don't, but, but he starts warming up. Um, and so after he walks Tucker, now we're already warming. And it's just like, there's no good options, right? There's no good options. But he, and even after what happened to Leclerc in game five, they, they want to stick with him. But hitting is really hard. Is. Mauricio Dubon walks up to the plate with the bases loaded with a chance to make himself a postseason legend for the Houston Astros. And he kind of dinks a, Soft, I mean, soggy line drive right at Corey Seager. Leclerc for the threw second him out. three identical cutters. He's all in the exact same spot. He swings through the first two, and just a, a absolute nothing kind of line out to Seager for the second out. And here comes John Singleton after having the biggest step out of his life in Game Five, for the biggest step out of his life in Game Six. So remember, Jeremy Pena was a god last year, and he made himself very famous for what he did in the 2022 uh, ALCS uh, League, uh, a, uh, what, wait, what did MVP? I call it? A lovely the, championship, oh, series, lovely championship MVP. series MVP. Yeah. And then he was the World Series MVP. That's why right? he was, remember, he was putting up the hearts all the time? Yeah, because he was lovely. Because he was lovely. Yeah, he, he's not actually that good, okay? He's hitting eighth. <laughs> he, Look, good player, good player. But, like, there's a reason good. he's been now pinched for multiple times. He's hitting behind Mauricio Dubon, okay? That's yeah. kind of all you need to know. Yeah. In comes John Singleton. We've talked about his story before. A crazy at-bat between him and LeClerc. And on the eighth pitch, he gets Singleton swinging on a cutter up in the zone oh. to end the inning. What a pitch. Now, some people have also pointed out, now obviously you go back to the platoon advantage point, Chaz McCormick hanging out on the bench. Um, I understand you the matchup with Singleton there, but in terms of like experience and having had a good season, you know, maybe you go to McCormick there, whatever. It's an amazing spot for Singleton. He had a good at-bat, and Clerk beat him. What do we know about Chaz McCormick's relationship with Dusty Baker, his manager? It's at this Not point, good. we know, it's no bueno. Not good. <laughs> All right, we go to the ninth. Now, this is another key moment of the game because... Key moment of the game! It's, two, it's a two-run lead, right? And the Astros would presumably like to keep it close. They already used Abreu while down. 
But instead of using Ryan Presley while down, they decide to go to Rafael Montero. Rafael Montero, who has was amazing last season, not as good this year, is just not, he's just shaky. And so by not going to Presley, not that they definitely should have, but because, you know, you definitely want to say Presley for game seven in this situation. Maybe if he's going to have to go two innings because Abreu might be suspended, you're going to a lesser reliever. And in Montero with walk, an, an error from Altuve, and a Semyon single puts them in a situation where now we have to bring in Stanek, who probably was not expecting to pitch in this inning or at all in this game at this point, comes in. Stanek hits Seager with a pitch immediately. And this is the thing where you are now, we are seeing, we've talked about the Astros bullpen so much, but until the last couple of days, it's really just been Presley and Abreu are the ones you're 1 million percent trusting. And at this point, with Abreu now being suspended and Abreu now having given up runs in his last two outings, right, it's down to just Presley. So you don't know what you're getting with these other guys at this point, which now leaves them vulnerable to allow a two run deficit to get so much worse. He, uh, Seager gets hit by a pitch. Now it's 5-2. Stanek strikes out Evan Carter, and here comes Adolis Garcia for his fifth plate appearance. Uh, what happened next, Jake? Bye-bye, baseball. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Uh, See ya. Thank one, you. 1-1 one fastball up in the zone. And in game five, Adolis Garcia hit a inside fastball from uh, Justin Verlander very, very high. And it was in the air for about six and a half seconds. This ball that he hit off Ryan Stanek was in the air for about two seconds. <laughs> this is a very different uh, aesthetic of a home run. But a dramatic home run all the same. He'd been booed all night, of course, because sports fans are funny. He had been, he struck out four times. He had swung the bat 15 times without putting a ball in play. And here he goes saying goodnight. We will see you tomorrow night for a Game 7. Dolores Garcia actually had a very similar game in September when he went over 4 with four strikeouts and then hit a walk-off homer against the Twins. And if you remember that home run, if you go back and watch that one, there's that moment of kind of relief from Garcia, uh, which it was one of the best walk-off homers of the year. And in this case, it was a, yeah, I just did that. <laughs> he was trying to homer all night. And because the Astros bullpen put him in a position to hit a grand slam here, uh, he absolutely, he did it. And he didn't even, it wasn't even, he didn't even really pimp it that much because he was like, yep, that's it, GG. And uh, it was one of the coolest, coldest homers we've seen. Andrew Heaney comes in for the bottom of the ninth. Oh, whoa, 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 What? You're going to skip over what happens next? Travis Jankowski. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about this. Sorry, we can't just get to the end here, which is what everyone felt like doing. So Adolis Garcia ends the game, right, in the top of the ninth inning. But they have to keep playing baseball. And Travis Jankowski had pinch run earlier, so now he's batting. And he smashes one to right field. And Kyle Tucker, who just barely missed robbing a home run, he robs Travis Jankowski of a home run. Not just robs. I mean, he's like three, four feet over the, you know, three feet over the fence, basically, you know, shoving a fan out of the way, holding on to the ball snow cone, just an unbelievable home run rob. But because it was essentially 90 seconds after the entire stadium <laughs> got, you know, just absolutely just disgraced by Adolis Garcia's home run, um, no one gave a shit, including Kyle. Yeah, Tucker. man. It was he so funny. Homer, it was an un unbelievable play. Unbelievable play. And he, he, if he makes, let's say he makes that play on the Heim homer. 
I believe, or the Garver homer. One of those two, he had yeah, a chance Heim to homer. make it. Yeah, the Heim, the Heim yeah. homer. Very similar play. He's going nuts. The crowd's going nuts. <laughs> like Hector Neris is probably like banging his head against a wall. Like right. they're going berserk. But yeah. instead, he's just kind of he has to eat this. He's got to just kind of be they very no choice. They, and they only barely showed the replay like briefly afterwards. And I, I don't, I don't blame Joe Davis for handling. It. It's just like it was just so funny. Like it is objectively context aside, one of the greatest catches in postseason history. Nobody gave a shit. And that's a like, nice play by Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, F9. Very normal. Uh, okay. And then Andrew Heaney comes in. Heen dog bump day. Uh, they're up 9-2. to two And um, that's it. Rangers win. Andrew Heaney gets the last out. Jose Leclerc does not have to come out and get three more outs, which is definitely a big deal. That is a huge deal. You know, he only has to throw 16 pitches instead of 36 pitches or whatever. And that is why that, that Garcia one wall did take the drama out of the end of the game. It's just so massive going into this game seven. And, you know, we're, we're not going to end Chapman he's going to probably have to pitch at some point tonight. But anyway, let's do it. Let's talk about game seven, Jake, because that's going to happen uh, here tonight. The two best words in sports, Jordan. Jose Leclerc. <laughs> Max Scherzer, Christian Javier. Now in game three, Christian Javier was awesome. Max Scherzer was not. In a game, we like very little about that game surprised anybody. And while it was disappointing that Max could not deliver in his first start in a month plus, like it was kind of what we saw coming. They had a two win series lead. It didn't feel as dire, but I said it after that game. It was like, holy shit. Like we might be heading towards a manager's of game seven. And so now we are, how are you feeling about this? Because I am so excited, but also it's a little bit, I feel definitely different than I did before game three. Oh, I don't feel great about him. I mean, I think I can't see a world in which he dominates I can't. I can see a world in which he survives Mm -hmm. and he gets through five with three earned. And it's a close game. Huge win. What did he do last game? Four. He went through four with five earned. Four with five earned. So like that's a failure. Five with three earned is fine. And I know that's not actually that different, but it is very different. No, that's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I just don't. He looked fine. Mm -hmm. He looked healthy. The The stuff was there. Curveball but was definitely less sharp. Command was but, not good. But again, it's important to remember. Let me just, it's yeah. important to remember. We are not talking about 33-year-old peak Max Scherzer yes. coming back from an injury. Yes. The Max Scherzer that we saw for a lot of this season, while good, was significantly more flawed than the one we are used to. And that is why I have skepticism. There is rust, but the, he is also old. Yes. And I think, but but at the same time, you know, is this, I, I do feel like there's more upside here for Scherzer personally than downside. I view this as a, as a slightly different version of what we saw with Clayton Kershaw this postseason. Max Scherzer has nothing left to prove. Okay, now I know that doesn't mean he doesn't feel like he has something left to prove, whatever. But Max Scherzer, whether he gets bombed tonight or goes, you know, five scoreless, is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest pitchers I've ever seen. Competitors, all these things. I, I really do believe that, okay? I, I disagree think, somewhat the idea okay. that he has something to prove because he, he wants to pitch this game. Of course. Of and course. the Rangers want him, want a version of Max Scherzer to pitch this game as of well. Course. But this is a referendum on Max Scherzer's ability to know his own limits at sure. this point in his career. It cannot soil the things that he has done. Yes. I, I get that. But at this point, 
if he goes out there and he gets crushed, that's a level of stubbornness and selfishness that I think is a part of this conversation. We saw this with Spencer Strider last year, right? Like Mm -hmm. he admitted this in a story I wrote at the beginning of the season, like admitting what you are not at a point in time takes more bravery than saying, I'm pitcher man, give me baseball. Mm -hmm. But I still think that this has more to do with Texas's bet on him when they traded for him. Now, that doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. it was a bad idea. But again, the investment in trading for him, which gives you a situation, because we're mentioning, yes, okay, is he their best option tonight? I I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. And so I think he might be. I think he might be their best option. And so I'm not surprised that he started in this game. But I think that this has more to do with the Rangers' commitment and investment in him and belief in him with the risks associated both from a health standpoint and from an inconsistent performance standpoint over the last couple of years. That is, I think, it says more about that investment as much as Max Scherzer's legacy. At the same time, the upside here, if Scherzer does go six scoreless, is is fucking crazy. I mean, it, it will be no one will remember Game Three. It'll be one of the most incredible postseason you know performances of all time. All these things like that that is on the table for him, and that's of course why he's working his way back to do this. Because as you know, as Kershaw said before, he gave up a million runs in thirty seconds. He'd rather be doing it there than sitting at home, and I'm sure that's true for all these guys, right? And I, and I totally get that. Um, at the same time, as for like who I'm expecting to win this game, it makes the entire game from managing standpoint, very interesting because if you're Bruce Bochy, who like presumably Chapman's going to have to pitch at some point. LeClerc, who has already pitched in nine games this postseason, I should point out that the record for most games pitched in a postseason is 14. All right. And he's could very well pitch in his 10th tonight before we even get to the World Series. So think about that. Um, but we know LeClerc, we're probably going to see Chapman. We're probably going to see Spores. Would we see, I, I just don't know who else, how we're going to cover this. If we see a Dunning, if we see a Heaney, I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm. that's the part is, is if Scherzer's not going to give you length, how are we getting through the rest of those games? However, you could ask the same question about Houston. If Javier is not as good, you have fewer options. Even if you are penciling in two innings from Presley, are you really, and we're assuming we're not having a Brayu, are we trusting Naris? Are we trusting Montero? Are we trusting Stanek? Like, there are a few. Are, now, are we seeing Verlander in relief? Ken Rosenthal wrote that we very well could. We've seen him do that once before um, in the 2017 ALDS against Boston. He gave up a home run to the first batter he faced, and he was pretty good for the rest of the way. It's the only time he's been in relief in his career. Would we see? I don't think Rosenthal would write that he would be available unless he was, but we'll see about that. So there's a lot of ways that this is going to go probably after the starters exit, but that's what I'm, I'm of course, most most confused about in terms of what to expect going into this game. That's true for any game seven. The shadow of the 2019 World Series hangs over tonight because that is when the Nationals took two in Houston, dropped three at home against the Astros, and then took the last two in Houston to win the World Series. And remember, Max Scherzer in that game, five innings, seven hits, two runs, four walks, three strikeouts. And then in came Patrick Corbin. Think the Rangers want to bring in Patrick Corbin tonight for for three scoreless? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Would they would they take Patrick Corbin on the roster right now? Would how that, much money through this game? How much money would the Houston Astros franchise pay to guarantee themselves three innings of Patrick Corbin tonight? Like if <laughs> if Houston made a donation to a charity and in doing so forced the Rangers to throw him for three innings. What is that worth 
for the Astros tonight? Like ten million dollars? I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that math. Um, Fifteen I, million dollars. I think if the Rangers were forced to, they would start it for three. I think. Eh, that's a good question. Not sure. <laughs> three. Anyway, um, okay, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Three innings. Daniel, they take Daniel Hudson, or right? maybe not Daniel Hudson now, but that version of Daniel Hudson. Of course, we know that game. You know, Zach Ranke's amazing. They pull him, and then Howard Kendrick, blah 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 blah. But yeah, I mean, this is it. Uh, game seven. I um, again, we haven't had a game seven like I mentioned since since 2020, since the uh, 20. Yes, yeah, since the ALCS, the ALCS, and the NLCS um, in 2020. Both. Uh, both of them. So um, the Tampa and Houston and uh, the Dodgers and Braves. But the other thing about game seven, uh, last kind of just big picture game seven thing before we take a break here. Uh, after the game, Mitch Carver was on the desk and, you know, with uh, on the Fox desk with uh, Poppy and Jeter and A-Rod and, and Kevin Burkhardt. And, and, you know, you know, David Ortiz like, yeah, you know, I've, I've done a game seven, you know, this is what you got to think, blah, blah, blah. And then Mitch Carver, he's like, how, what's your mindset going into this? And Mitch Carver's like, I, I don't know, like <laughs> I haven't done this before, which is so true. Like game sevens, we have to remember how rare they are. And, you know, David Ortiz played in in four game sevens, I believe. And I was looking up the, the record, who's played in the most game sevens in baseball history. Uh, Mickey Mantle played in eight. <laughs> he played in eight World Series game sevens. He won four, lost four. But Altuve and Bregman will be playing in their fifth one tonight. And there's only been 12 players in baseball history who have played in at least five. So they will join that group tonight. But for a lot of people, you know, this is, it's just, you just have no idea what this is going to feel like. And that's what makes it fun. And that's what makes it terrifying. The two best words in sports, Travis Jankowski. Let's take a <laughs> quick break. And when we return, we will chat about NLCS Game 5 and preview NLCS Game 6. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this postseason. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. If Game 7, those are the two best words in sports. Does that mean Game 6 is the, are the two worst words in sports? <laughs> game 1 is Game 1, the two worst words in sports. Hate Game 1s. There are a lot of, I will say, there are a lot of bad words in sports. I don't think we need to review them here. There yeah. are plenty of bad words in sports. But Catcher's game five, interference. <laughs> game five. That's actually, I think those are two great words. Uh, game five of the NLCS was not quite as exciting <laughs> as games three or four. Unless you are a Philadelphia Phillies fan looking for some comfort, looking for an, a stress-free game. And honestly... Also a stress-free game for the Diamondbacks. <laughs> I know they lost, but if you're a fan, you kind of probably were watching that thinking, yeah, it's probably not happening tonight. It doesn't feel good, but you're not, you know, holding on to your butt trying to hope that uh, you have a chance and then you don't. So what happened in this game, Jake? You were there. Zach Wheeler, the Phillies pitcher, again, better than Zach Gallen, the Diamondbacks pitcher. Oh, all right. Nice. And that was it. 
That was that was that was not All it. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> there were some fun moments in this game that we'll we'll chat about. But that's what you just that's the TLDR. Too long didn't read. Zach yep. Wheeler is incredible. He is one of the best postseason pitchers of the 21st century. He I, he's had what eight postseason starts in his career, and his ERA in those starts is you know very small. It's, yeah, I'll, I'll pull up those yeah. exact numbers while you recap the game. Uh, top of the first. Before Wheeler even takes the mound, the Phillies score a pair of runs with runners on first and third. Bryson Stott hits a single into right field. Stott has been eh, offensively so far this series. But boy, oh boy, even when he's not locked in, does he give you a good at-bat. And he takes a curve below the zone for a single, scores the first run of the game, puts runners on first and third. He is on first. Bryce Harper is on third. And JT Real Muto is at the plate. And that is when the Phillies pull some old school, high school, little league hijinks with a stop steal. Now, Jordan, if you're listening to this, you know, uh, Bryce Stott steals second. Uh, Bryce Harper comes home. Throw goes to second. It's all chaos. For you, I'm curious. How did you take in this this play? Yeah. So obviously, watching on TV, you know, you have a first and third situation, and, and this is a play that you do see run a good amount at lower levels of baseball. But in this spot in particular, you have you know Bryce Harper on third, it's not necessarily about the speed of the runner on third, but it is still about the execution and and whatnot. And in this case, you have a catcher in Gavin Moreno, who's, as we've talked about a lot, been one of the best at throwing out runners all season long, literally the the best by a rate basis for regular catchers. And so it is a good way to try and bait Mr. Moreno to try and get Stott for the final out of the inning here, if you can pull this off. Now he throws it to Cattell Marte, and at this point, like, it it's not like Marte, when Marte receives the ball, it's not like I didn't think he had time to get it home in time. Like, I was like, oh, like, this is going to be close at the very least. I didn't think like, oh, they perfectly executed this. I was like, oh, a good throw is going to get him. And it was not, not the best throw. So there are so many layers and elements to this play from a dorky baseball fan perspective, and I'll try and keep them pretty tight. So what Bryson Stott is taught to do on this play, he's going to break for second. And if he thinks he's going to be safe, okay, he's going to take the bag. Like if he gets a great jump, he's supposed to just take the bag and then Harper reacts to the throw. But if he knows that he's going to be out and with a catcher like Moreno, that is likely, he is taught to break it down and stop. He should stop the steal? Is that what Literally stop, hashtag stop the steal. Yes. Okay, got it. In Arizona. In Arizona. In Maricopa County. What a tribute. So Bryson Stott stops the steal halfway down the line. And Bryce Harper's job as the runner on third is to recognize as soon as he believes the baseball is going to make it all the way to second base, he is supposed to break home. You'll see in lower levels of baseball, they'll do a cut play where they will flash. Teams will flash either the shortstop or the second baseman like behind the pitcher's mound to imitate cutting the ball off and throwing home. Or at the very least, let like standing there and letting it go to freeze the runner on third, right? They did not do that. The Diamondbacks did not do that on this play because they were in a pretty significant shift, right? And that is why that allows a couple different things to happen. That means that there's no cut flashing. So the ball is going to go all the way to second, which gives Bryce more time to break for home because he can go earlier. 
And Bryce is able to get further off of third base on his read because Longoria, the third baseman, is further back in a shift. And so if you have a situation where that third baseman is closer to the bag, you'll see like Moreno or a catcher pop up and throw to third and try and backpick the guy. He, Bryce knew that wasn't an option because of where the position, where, where the third baseman was positioned. So all these different elements allow for this play to work. Um, it's an awesome call. It's also a low risk call, right? Because if the catcher decides not to throw through, Stott just walks to second base, which is exactly what happened in game two of this series. I don't know if people were tweeting about this or figured this out, but you know, I'm just such a baseball beast that I remembered it. No big deal. In game in game two, when the Phillies were up three to zero, I think in the fifth or the sixth, Bryce was on first and he stole second and just kind of walked to second base. Mm-hmm. And Moreno put it in his back, he pump faked, put it in his back pocket, and they let the they let him take second. But in this situation, early in the game, in a zero-zero game or one-zero game, the Phillies are counting on Moreno to be aggressive and try and throw that runner out. And so they took advantage of Moreno's aggressiveness mm-hmm. to score that run home. The collision at home. That's just a baseball play. The throw kind of leads Moreno into the baseline where Harper's sliding. No intent there. Uncomfortable situation for Harper where he's like checking on Moreno and like tapping home plate at the same time. That's just weird stuff. Um, not a dirty play at all. But I could I could watch and talk about the first and third play forever. It, yeah, it is no, an electric it's... play. And for all of those little intricacies, if Marte makes a good throw home, Harper's out. But yeah. what you're counting on is the as the offensive team is you're forcing two good throws mm-hmm. and you're forcing the second baseman to make a throw from an angle that they rarely make, right? Mm-hmm. Because that second baseman is coming across the bag at a kind of an uncomfortable angle where they then have to turn their body and throw directly home. Um, and that's part of why the throw skips away. And and I think that the timing of it, like, like you said, it's about getting them to fuck up more than getting there in time. It's very few runners are going to actually beat that throw. You know what I mean? Like it's, Mm. it's not about getting to home in time. It's about counting on them screwing up, which is exactly what happened. And that's the calculus there. And that's why at lower levels of baseball, you're trying it way more often because it's way less likely that players way worse than Cattell Marte and Gabriel Moreno are going to screw this up way more often. So if they're screwing it up, you can understand how difficult of a play it is, but it of course comes with risk as well. Um, All right. Well, then we can, can move along here. Uh, There really wasn't Oh, were there any other plays until uh, the no. home run in the top of the sixth? That we need to talk it was about? just kind of Wheeler cruising, Gallon cruising. Wheeler was at this point very good, but in a weird way, not quite as dominant as I'd seen him in other starts this October. The fastball command was just a little shakier. He was finding barrels. He allowed base runners, I believe, in the first, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, which is good. I mean, he didn't allow a run, but compared to what he has been that was a lot of traffic for him. But he's so good at holding runners on. And I think that is an important point about the middle innings here. The Diamondbacks continue to not steal. They've stolen one bag all series, and that was against Kimbrell in the inning where he pooped himself. Like, they are they are being stymied by a combination of Real Muto behind the plate. And then, like, Wheeler is so good at mixing up his looks and keeping guys close to the bag. But we'll go to the top of the sixth inning, third time through the order. Okay, Gallon's still on the mound. And Mike Farron, friend of the show, is sitting behind me in the press box. 
and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, key moment of the game. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, Gallon third time through against these lefties at the top, key moment of the game. And I was like, huh, throwing down the key moment of the game card with nobody on and nobody out. It's kind of badass. Wham! <laughs> Kyle Schwerver, solo home run off Zach Gallon. 461. 461 on a 2-0 breaking ball. Just, no, I, I mean, yeah, not, not Gallon's best uh, Uncle Charlie. <laughs> no. Now, so when I saw this, I was like, huh. He threw Schwarber a 2-0 breaking ball in the first at-bat of the game. And Schwarber took it for a strike. And Gallon likes to use that breaker in 2-0 to steal a strike against lefties. And I asked Schwarber after the game, I said, were you sitting on that? He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> he was like, I wasn't. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, 2-0, I usually I like to sit fastball because if I'm sitting breaker, it's harder to adjust to the heat. But if you're sitting heat, you can adjust to the fastball. He's like, I just saw the curveball hump out of the hand, and I knew it was landing in the middle of the zone. And that's and the I difference. You look where that first one and the first at-bat went. It was low. It was more low and in, a much well-located, well um, perfectly well-located, less of a get-me-over. Even if, you know, again, throwing a 2-0 breaking ball is un unusual, the location was so much better. This one could not have been more down the middle. <laughs> and as we've seen with the Phillies the entire time, <laughs> You know, you just can't. And, and by the way, like this Brandon Font outing is just aging so well. So well. So well. Like like Brandon Font is just going to be sitting in the dugout like, come on, guys. What's the big deal? You can't <laughs> Man, make by mistakes. The way, I, I will say, right? Like if, if they can, I'm spinning too, jumping many steps ahead. But like if we could get to a game seven, if you're the D-backs, like if Brandon Font could somehow replicate that, it'd be really hard. But but again, like, I, that's the thing. Like they're just not missing these fuck-ups at all. Now, these are some really bad fuck-ups. I mean, these are just right down the middle. Um, the har the one to Harper, not as bad. Longer at bat. Fastball up in the zone. I don't know if you had any further things to say about that one. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Har that was more of just like Bryce Tomahawk. Yeah. Bryce Harper. It wasn't a horrible pitch. He was trying to go up and in. But when you aim up, uh, especially against Harper, that's what you want. And Gallon, I mean, it was 94 with carry. Like, it's not the – it's not a – Elite pitch, but it's not a terrible spot no, for that. I didn't think that was a bad pitch. Bryce Harper yeah. is just him. He's um, only he's only gonna again like Bryce Harper is only gonna be quiet for you know probably two postseason games in a row. Probably sorry. not three. Probably uh, not three. You, you see, he's as he's rounding third, he stares down Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Michael Phelps who are sitting in the front row next to the diamond. <laughs> Do we have dugout. an explanation for Michael Phelps? What he lives there. I have to oh, say yeah. that was very disappointing. Michael Phelps, noted Baltimorean, swam yeah. at the same pool as my grandfather. He, he's thrown out first pitches in Baltimore before? He is a Baltimore guy. And yeah. for the Diamondbacks to pick him to throw out the first pitch, weird assortment of first pitch throwers. Two Olympians. There's another Olympian who threw out the first pitch in game three and Larry Fitzgerald in game four, Larry, which I Larry like. Fitz, I mean, that's a, that's a layup. But like they had Rand Randy Johnson was there. He was at yeah. the game. It's like yeah, that's yeah. Is that like two spot on? I feel like Luis Gonzalez makes more sense than Randy Johnson. I in guess the it's context. Like, having yeah. Michael Phelps throughout the first pitch <laughs> that, of the no, postseason the game is, is, is just an admission that you don't have anyone else to do it. It was very weird, but also like you somehow got Michael Phelps to do it, which is also it's a great <laughs> get that makes no sense. So anyway, <laughs> Bryce stares him down. Phillies at this point are up four to one. Zoom ahead. Um, Wheeler allows a solo shot in the bottom of the uh, of the seventh to Alec. Sorry, bottom of the sixth to Alec Thomas. 
comes back out, gets an extra guys. Wheeler was just very, very impressive. Very so impressive. Uh, seven innings. And, he ends yeah. up going seven innings, saving a really depleted and exhausted Phillies bullpen. Yes. The Phillies send Hoffman out for the eighth. He's good in the eighth, gets through the eighth scoreless. Um, I guess, sorry, I guess I should say in the top of the eighth, Phillies had two more on a real Muto Homer off Luis Frias, six to one. Diamondbacks get a couple of runners in the bottom of the ninth. Not enough. Game over. Not enough. I mean, the fact that Sir Anthony, you know, couldn't finish that uh, with the five run lead was a little disappointing. I know they had Carroll coming up and they want to go with the matchup and I get that. um, But I imagine that was pretty frustrating uh, for Rob Thompson. But hey, a dub is a dub. And just to close the book here before we spin it forward to game six, Zach Wheeler, who did not pitch in the postseason before last year, of course, has now made 10 starts in October. His ERA is 248 in 61 and two-thirds innings. He has struck out 67. He has walked nine. He has a .730 whip, which is the best in postseason history with a certain minimum. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's very simple. One of the, one of the best. Also, like that Alec Thomas home run, while it didn't mean much in this game, was only the fifth home run he'd allowed in the postseason, right? Yeah. Think about that. So, uh, Alec Thomas, Alec Thomas really raising his stock this sure, one. Yeah, but wow. that obviously didn't do much for them in this game. And now we look ahead to game six tonight back at Citizens Bank Park where you will be. We will have Merrill Kelly. We will have Aaron Nola go. Guess what? Aaron Nola, last, maybe last home start. We'll say it a million times. And again, like Nola was was good. And Merrill Kelly was also good until the very end here. So like we just saw with Gallon, like you're just – not only is obviously the environment going to be back, of course, in Philly's favor, you just cannot be making even two of those mistakes. Um, now, maybe the D-Max offense shows up more against Nola in this case of the way that they did. I, I still like them more against him than against Wheeler, but it's it's sure going to be tough. It is sure going to be tough. I just don't trust Arizona's offense to yeah. take advantage of the mistakes they get. Yep. I trust Philly's offense to do that more. I think the amount of mistakes that Nola and Kelly will make are about even. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit. I feel a little bit better about Nola. And that's it. Like, that's the game, right? The one X factor tonight is Philly's bullpen. Just because how shaky they looked in three and four. How It depends how long Nola goes. Nola goes. If he goes five... And they have to cover four innings at the back, or if he goes seven and they have to cover two, that's a big freaking difference. I yeah. feel very confident in Alvarado with a lead. I would expect them to try and get two innings out of him tonight. Sure. I feel pretty good about Hoffman. He threw three days in a row, and so his status is a little up in the air. I think they will go back to Kirkering today. I would okay. not be surprised to see them go back yeah. to Kirkering today. They like his slider much better at home. Outside the elevation in Arizona was a concern. And then the last point. I think we do see Dominguez again. Okay. Um, and I think I, I think like Strom, Dominguez, Kirkering, and Alvarado are the guys we will see tonight. Yeah, and I would say on Arizona's side, and, and I'm I'm under I mean, Nola was was great. Like, I mean, six scoreless. It was a close game while he was on the mound. Um, and the D backs offense just had nothing for him. So we'll see what kind of adjustments they can make against him. And then that's the other question is if Merrill Kelly can keep them in it. What's the sequence of D-backs relievers? Because we've seen that kind of change over time. Do you get more aggressive with a guy like Kevin Ginkle in a bigger spot? Or are we saving those guys 
uh, for later on. I think that's also going to be really interesting. Like, are we trusting Saul Frank at this point? I, I or is it back to Mantiply? Like, those are those are the questions. It's going to be really tough for Lavelle to manage. But like we said before, if the DBX office doesn't show up, it's not going to matter. Quick point about Saul Frank. Mm-hmm. So my mom texted me and said, "I thought Saul Frank was a, a person's name." She thought it was a full name and not a last name. She thought there was like a Jewy Saul. reliever named Saul oh, Frank. Oh, S-A-U-L. <laughs> Saul Frank. Yeah. Saul Frank from Flatbush is coming in for the Arizona Diamondback. Saul Frank sounds like he runs like the, the yes. butcher. The oh, butcher's. my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Has there been a major league Saul? I guess there has been. I'm, I'm yeah, there so. has to have yeah, been. Yeah, a couple. But it's it's certainly been a while. Um, there was a Saul Rivera. So this looks like it's a Saul. I'm getting Saul. the pronunciation on Saul from Puerto Rico. So that's a little bit different. Um, but that is very funny. That is funny. Yes, Andrew. Andrew. To Jake's mom, it is Andrew Saul Frank. <laughs> we have one. There appears to be one Jewish Saul in okay. baseball history. Saul Rogovin, who was mm-hmm. born in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Went to Lincoln High School in Brooklyn, which is where my grandfather went. And he's buried at Beth David Cemetery in yep. Elmont, New York. Yep. Yep. That all tracks. That all checks a lot of boxes there. But Andrew Saul Frank, will we see him in game six or game seven? We will see if there is a game seven. We will get will we get two game sevens? We will find out. Snakes I think it's on. I think it's more likely we see Saul Rogovin than Saul Frank <laughs> in game six, Jordan. All right. Uh I I, I disagree with that take. Uh, but it is a funny joke. Uh let's move. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all we got. Uh, thank you all for listening, Jake. Enjoy game six and game seven. I hope you get to watch game seven or at least some portion of it. Um, I'm looking forward to, to both of these games. Of course, we will be back on Tuesday morning and see what, uh, what we have. Will we have another game seven? Will we have three off days? Uh, stay tuned because the world series starts on Friday. No matter what, we also, this is, I guess, another good point to end on. We do not know where the World Series will begin. If the Houston Astros win, the Phillies will host games one and two of the World Series here in Philadelphia. If the Rangers win, they will host games one and two of the World Series in Dallas. That is what... That is what is being waited on. Hopefully everybody enjoys Game 6 and Game 7. You can email us at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Again, we appreciate the support. The ratings and reviews mean a lot to us. So thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Tuesday morning talking uh, about baseball. because that's, that's the gig. Thank you to producer Chris Tyler, who produced this oh, yeah. podcast. Thank you, Thanks. Chris. Thanks, Bye-bye. Chris. Serious XM Podcasts.